there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Are there any listeners out there? Uh, what do you mean? I, I think that from what I understood, Ty... Bollinger actually hosted the previous hour, which means that we probably don't have anybody listening to us now, Robert. Oh, no. Oh, I hope Ty's not listening. He might be, uh, you might hurt his feelings. Well, that may be the only person that's listening. <laughs> okay. All right. So this hour dedicated to Ty Bollinger. Thank you for hosting the first hour of the Robert Scott Bell Show. I'm technically in the air right now. We'll have stories to tell you when I get back. But we got Dr. Batar and following up on the wonderful energy between Ty and Dr. Batar, the running feud. It's like the Hatfields and the McCoys right on <laughs> Health Talk Radio. Well, you know, I didn't realize, Robert, that uh, the reason that Ty and I have the relationship with you is mm-hmm. because his birthday is one day before mine. I had no idea just till a couple of days after our birthday. I should yeah. say a couple of days before our birthday. So uh, maybe there was something that happened around that date mm-hmm. every uh, every year because all my really, really, really close friends seem to have their birthdays within 24 hours of mine. Yeah, well, the earth tilts on the axis around your birthday, strangely, on those days. And by the way, happy belated birthday to you and also to Ty Bollinger once again, grateful uh, for all the times he comes on board. And, and look, the love is out there. I just love the letters coming in. Oh, we used to love Dr. Batar, but we love Ty now. And then, then we'd say something. Oh, no, no, but that doesn't mean I don't love Dr. Batar, too. It's just it's amazing what's out there. Believe me, nobody can offend me by saying they love Ty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He's, he's, as we've said, we're, we're not here to toot his horn, but he's certainly worthy of it. Honestly, we sit back and say all the good works that he's done and putting great information out there. And I, I am grateful. And I love the fact that you guys have such a razzing relationship. It is quite entertaining. Yeah, actually, I don't even know whether people know, but uh, when I talked to you, Robert, about getting him on the show, I mm-hmm. thought that he would be a great addition to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Yep. So I don't know. I don't even know whether anybody really knows that. But uh, yeah, if you if you don't like, I said this is why you should never question Doctor Batar. He's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's uh, Ty has been a good friend, and uh, and I'm sure he did a good, great job. Now, that does not mean that I'm going to go back and listen to the one hour that he did. Believe <laughs> me. That's not what that means. <laughs> what, what is it like scratching a chalkboard for you? What, what, what? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, anyway, we've got some healing to do this hour, of course, as we always do. And I thought we'd dive in to the gut and the liver connection. You know, we love talking about it. It's the, the cornerstone of my, let's say, awakening and healing and my recovery and my ability to help so many just as it is for you. And yet it's it's still not focal pointed on, except as, as we talked even last week, you mentioned the whole idea of 50% gallbladder function. Get it down to zero. Quick, quick, quick. Right. Who's restoring yeah. liver function in modern medicine outside of Burt Berkson with alpha lipoic acid or something? You don't hear much. You don't hear anything about it. In fact, you don't even hear about how detrimental the use of Tylenol is for, you know, just everyday use. That's the number one cause of liver failure in our society is Tylenol toxicity. Mm-hmm. And when you have people that try to kill themselves, you know, committing suicide, and I can't tell you how many times I've had this happen in the emergency room when I worked ER medicine for the seven years that I did. Unbelievable the number of people that try to kill themselves by 
ingesting a bottle of Tylenol, and it, it never kills them. It just makes them go into liver failure. Oh, it just, it's just, just destroys them, but yet they'll recover if they have basic levels of function. And, of course, they're miserable from it, so it hasn't made their situation any better, and, in fact, maybe 10 times worse. Now, Tylenol, of course, well, how did they know? How, how do all these people know or think to know that, hey, Tylenol will do me in? They have to know on some level it's toxic. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Most of these people, you know, when somebody tries to kill themselves and they try to do it with pills or whatever, you, mm. you just don't know what their state of mind is. They're usually intoxicated. They're, you know, they're depressed. They're probably not thinking straight. And, um, you know, it's kind of like trying to kill yourself with a with a spoon or something. It's mm-hmm. not a very effective way of trying to end your life. And I just cringe at the thought of what these people then have to live their lives because, you know, past the right actual uh, attempt at their lives because now they're they're just they're just having such a problem throughout the rest of their life and and i'm sure that it reduces their lifespan but it is not a pleasant life and you know it's the gut and the liver that is so important for people to understand we really need to protect our gut and we really need to protect our liver and unless unless you're opposed to this robert i want to just go into some basic background information about the gut and the liver so people can understand this. No, we can't do that enough, and I appreciate you doing that, especially today, kind of setting the stage for a lot of things to come that we've been talking about, including the association. By now, those of you who are on the email alert list at robertscottbell.com have already received access, but uh, if you want to get that and you're new, sign up at robertscottbell.com. We'll get you that, and we'll talk more about it. But, yes, starting at the basics, the gut and the liver, the very first thing, unfortunately, the modern allopathic, pharmaceutically conflicted medical community attacks the moment you're born. Well, you're exactly right, Robert. Again, once once again, you've said it very well, and that's exactly the issue. It's a conflicted component that we are constantly in modern medicine attacking and negating and marginalizing and, you know, at the very least, just simply not addressing. And yet the gut and the liver, they are the two most important of the four primary organs of excretion. Now, you know, you can exhale and you are eliminating toxins when you're doing so. So yes, respiration or the respiratory system could be considered an organ of uh, excretion as well. Of course, the kidneys and of course, the skin, which is the largest organ of excretion. But today, let's just talk about the gut and the liver and we'll talk about the kidneys and we'll talk about skin and we'll talk about respiration and we'll talk about pH in some subsequent shows. But right now, we're going to concentrate on the liver and the gut. So I want everybody to think about the gastrointestinal system from the mouth to the anus is actually a tube that is consistent with the external world. So think of it as a as a solid tube and then somebody drills a hole from one end of the solid tube into the um, uh, solid, I should say, it's, um, not tube, but uh, solid, what would you call it, Robert? Well, uh, a canal, a pathway. I mean, literally, it's it's this... It, you know, you said that, and I do that as well in my lectures, and people are shocked to hear it the first time you say that, that that tube from the mouth to, as I joke, the planet Uranus is right. it is outside of your body. Exactly. And, it's, it's, that, it's consistent and, and, and tied into the external world. It is not part of our internal world as we think it is. Mm-hmm. So if you just think of it as a cylinder, and that's a solid cylinder, yes. and somebody drills a hole from one end all the way through the long side, not, not through the side of it, but all the way from one end of the long side to the other end of the long side. That is your mouth and your anus. It's that tube that's going through. And it is a tube that is responsible for connection with the outside world. It allows for an interface between the outside world and the inside world. All nutrients that come in, all, all 
water and food and nourishment that comes in comes through that tube and gets absorbed into the system. And all waste product that has to be eliminated, or most waste product, water and waste, the fecal matter, comes from the inside through that tube and then is eliminated. Think about it this way. When you get sick, you get diarrhea or you throw up. It's going up one side of the tube or down the other side of the tube. Mm-hmm. So very important to understand that the gastrointestinal system is consistent with the outside world and it is the conduit that allows our bodies to be able to get nourishment as well as our body's ability to expel garbage and by it being in that role, it is paramount for us to protect it and defend it and do everything we can to optimize it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, Robert? Uh, well, abs- absolutely. And, it, it, of course, it goes counter to everything that has been invested in, in a Western science. I, I hesitate to use the word sort of way with medicine. That's why we don't want to end the medical monopoly because thought forms that are seemingly as basic as this, it's like a biology 101, anatomy 101. You start learning about these things, the relationship, and you go – Really, I can talk to fourth, fifth, and sixth graders about this. They'll get it faster than some of these high-trained doctors. And and then what do you do about it? And this is exactly why we're doing this segment on the gut and the liver because we want everybody to get this. And and maybe, you know, we've talked about it so many times, but maybe not quite mm-hmm. in this way. And so I, that's one reason, Robert, I thought it would be good to kind of go over the basics because maybe uh, some people – have missed this. And I really want people to understand that if they truly care about their health, then they really truly need to care about their gastrointestinal system. They need to start focusing in on the gastrointestinal system and then the liver. I'm not saying one first before the other. Yes. You really need to think about all the organs of excretion. But Sure. But Dr. Vitar, when I was going through my first phase of healing, uh, we did homeopathic focal point on the liver, but the, the gut was also in play. It wasn't like you only had to do one or could only do one. And the thing is, we can address it in a comprehensive way, but recognizing what are the critical aspects of each of these functions and how then we can actually help it to recover as opposed to just thinking in terms of abstractions. Absolutely. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because if you think about it this way, the liver and I'm going to talk about the liver just for a few seconds. We'll come back to the gut. But the liver and the gut are so intimately entwined because if you clean the gut first and don't address the liver, Mm -hmm. then the the liver, remember the blood circulation, basically all the nutrients are absorbed by the gut. They circulate through the liver and come back towards the gut. So if your gut is polluted but your liver is cleaned up, as that blood circulating, it's going to contaminate the liver again. Mm-hmm. And if your liver is, is the one that's contaminated and the gut is clean as a blood circulating to the liver and coming back to the gut to pick up more nutrients, it's going to carry that contamination back. And when I say contamination, I'm using that term very loosely. I'm not just talking about you know poisons or metals. or, organ- mm-hmm. or I'm just talking about contaminated meaning – the, the blood isn't clean because the gut isn't clean. The liver isn't right. clean. Yeah, we, we could be talking simple metabolic waste to excess at that point. Exactly. So it doesn't have to be foreign, strange chemicals that were created by Dow and Monsanto, although, of course, that has made everything 100,000 times worse. Exactly. Exactly. We're just talking about right now. We're just talking about just the mere fact of what these organs do. Very simply, think of the liver as the oil filter of the body and think of the gastrointestinal system as the windows and doors of your car. Mm-hmm. In other words, again, I'm thinking of an analogy of a car and the body. So the windows and doors of the car, the gastrointestinal system, it allows things to go in, allows things to come out. 
and then of course the oil filter and the other various filters inside the car. Those that's where the that's where the liver is actually doing its job. So what you have to remember is that if you really want to help yourself achieve optimum health, and by the way, absence of disease is not optimum health. Please mm-hmm. understand that. The absence of disease is in our society equated to health, and that is absolutely wrong. Optimum health means you are above the standard. You are above basic functioning. Right. So when we talk about achieving optimum health, you must, by definition, have an extraordinarily well-functioning gastrointestinal tract mm-hmm. and an extraordinarily well-functioning liver. Why do I say extraordinarily well-functioning? Because if you are to take the modern medicine definition that, okay, you're having one bowel movement a day mm-hmm. and your, your liver functions aren't up on blood work, you're okay. Yep, yep. And, and, and you know, I, I love the, the visual analogy you gave is the, the, the gastrointestinal system being like the car's doors and windows because normally they're an effective barrier unless you consciously open them to go in or go out to allow something in or allow something to go out. But what we do when we go to the doctor, it's akin to driving our car through South Central L.A. in the worst of the Watts riots and expect the windows to remain intact. They don't. And what happens then? What gets in there? Not good idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is one of the things that I believe that pretty much everybody would appreciate once they really understand it. In fact, I think a parent will be more conscientious of their dietary intake if they understand the effect that that dietary intake is going to have on their gastrointestinal system and then also on their liver. Because when we talk about proper nutrition, it's not really the proper nutrition because, oh, it's going to be better for our bodies and more nourishing. Even though that is true, a lot of it is what it will do to that one barrier mm-hmm. that is supposed to be the interface between the outside and the inside world. Certain things that we consume will actually compromise that barrier. Yes. Just like you said, you know, Robert, mm-hmm. if you break the windows and you dent the doors in, you know, your door can't open or you know, glass, it's going to let all sorts of things in. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want that. You need to make sure that you protect that car. By taking it through these safe areas of town so that nobody assaults those windows and breaks them down and exactly. dents can't get out. You I tell you, that. man, I'm having so much fun already, and we're only into one segment. we got to take a break here. Dr. Rasha Bittar, Robert Scott-Bell on with the Advanced Medicine Monday edition. Once again, thanks to Ty Bollinger for hanging out and uh, being in our opening act today. It was terrific. <laughs> we got a lot more healing to go and a lot more discussion of the liver, gastrointestinal system, the, basic, uh, the basics of physiological health for sure, and a lot more. We'll be right back. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Check it all out. The links are up. RobertScottBell.com. Sign it up for all kinds of cool stuff. Remember the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Dr. Batar talking liver, gastrointestinal system health, stuff that we could we could talk 24 hours straight. I don't think we'll run out of anything to discuss about this. I love this topic. Well, this is so important, Robert. And I started thinking about this. That, you know, we, you and I, we have an understanding of certain things. And sometimes we may be talking about all these conditions and all these components that we talk about mm-hmm. among ourselves and then when we do the show the basic abcs it's always good to go back to the basic abcs yes. and trauma 
the, the ABCs of trauma, you know, airway, breathing, circulation. Whenever you're in doubt, you should always go back. And yes. I, as a clinician, have found that many, off, many times, uh, more often than I'd like to admit, it, once something isn't working for me for, for when I'm trying to help a patient, I have to go back to those the ABCs, the yes. airway, breathing, and circulation, not in the patient from a trauma perspective, but the ABCs in what I'm doing and what we do now yes. is the gut, the liver, mm-hmm. the organs of excretion. Dr. Batar, how many people come to see, see you as adults with all kinds of strange ailments and maladies that you then have to track back and they have no earthly idea? that it could have started even in infancy with their first vaccination or first round of antibiotics. You know, Robert, let me, you're absolutely right. Almost everybody. So let's, let's talk about this. This is a great, uh, this is a great component, actually. Mm -hmm. What do hormonal imbalances have to do with the gastrointestinal tract? Everything. Yep. Every single time I have had a woman that I have treated for a hormonal imbalance and I have not addressed the gut, guess what? I miserably fail flat in my face. Now, I get some of the hardest cases for hormonal imbalances. I have had women that have been referred to me by OBGYNs and the pe- women that have chased their husband with knives and, you know, the most difficult and, and they've, they've – almost all of them have had – in fact, in the book I talk about – remember the, the geek and the <laughs> 13 women and the tree Robert that <laughs> – Segment. Okay, this is that's a very popular story. People always, whenever they meet me somewhere and yes. you know ask me to autograph the book, they always tell me that's one of their favorite stories. But you know, in those women, it was their gut that I had been able to address their gut, and I knew that that was the key for getting these women better. And these women, these were the thirteen women that didn't get better with their gut. They ended up having that mercury issue, but. Before then, if I had not addressed the gut, I would have never been able to get any of those women better. The gut is so crucial with all components. And what you just brought up, how many people come Mm -hmm. that have all these strange ailments and they had no relationship, no understanding that this all started when they were kids and because Mm -hmm. of antibiotics, etc. All of them. Hormonal issues, the the degenerative joint issues. I've got a story in there about the child that I treated with with, uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and how I started treating her gut. Uh-huh. And that's what actually got her better. And then, of course, we dealt with the mental issue secondarily. And that little girl was on, you know, she's in college now, but she was on mm-hmm. non-steroidal. She was on methotrexate. She was on um, fluoroquinolone. She was on, I can't, I can't even remember. All oh, the a whole host of things that are very immunosuppressant. And guess what? Gastrointestinal and liver toxic. Absolutely. And she was actually, the reason I didn't want to touch her with a 10-foot pole was because I knew she was going to be on dialysis by the time she was 10 years old. She was only five when she oh, came to us. Yeah. But she, when you're in methotrexate and you're on, um, uh, she was on, they were contemplating gold shots. She'd already had two operations on her on her leg for this juvenile oh. rheumatoid arthritis. She was right. in pain all the time. She was on double the dose of non and she was on narcotics also for pain control. And, you know, in six months, we had her off all our medication. In a year, we had a range of motion increasing. And, um, you know, the whole story's in, in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. And, in fact, her father, who I haven't even talked to in probably, I don't know, a couple of years, you know, even to this day, it's been, what, uh, 15 years since I treated his daughter, or actually 16 years, he still refers patients to us. I think mm-hmm. I just had a patient last month that he had referred to us. Right. The you know, book- I want to I take a moment to point out what I call the phonies that claim to be advanced medical people, advanced medicine. They, they kind of co-opt this concept. And they're the ones out there doing all of this hormonal therapy, 
given synthetics or even even bioidenticals, but completely ignoring the, the what we're talking about, the basics, the liver and the digestive or gastrointestinal system. You know, you're just monkeying with end-stage chemical imbalances as opposed to going to the heart, which is to some degree much more difficult and challenging than just throwing other things into the body. But, but it's more same, effective, Robert. But it's, it's more effective. Exactly. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, you open up this can of worms, so you can't blame me. You open up the can of worms. I'm just going to dish out some more <laughs> Go worms ahead. then. Dish it out. Here's the thing. When people talk about bioidentical hormone therapy instead of the synthetic hormones, and they're so much better because they're doing alternative longevity medicine and mm-hmm. anti-aging medicine, they're going to use bioidentical hormones. Yep. That's even worse because the, there's no. it doesn't matter whether it's bioidentical or it's synthetic. Yes, synthetic is worse. I understand that. And yes, bioidentical is better. Yes, I understand that. However, you're still using a freaking hormone to try to cover up a symptom. And whether you use a natural substance or a synthetic substance, the problem is still there. See, you see why you upset these doctors? <laughs> Robert, you know that I'm hated by not only the traditional doctors. I think I'm hated more by alternative doctors than I'm the traditional doctors. Well, listen, and, and, and you know, just to temper, temper it as well, it's like you said, are we more, let's say, uh, pleased, and that's not the right way to say it, but I would much rather have somebody on bioidentical than synthetic. At the same point in time, I've always argued for that's not getting to the heart of why your hormones are insufficient, imbalanced. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. What caused them to go in the, uh, mm-hmm. down in the first place? Yeah. Or what caused them to become imbalanced? That's the question that should be asked. But that's, that, that requires more work, more detective work. And it's a different kind of, uh, let's be honest, medical practice. They've become the boutique med- medical specialists, the hormonal people. Well, you're right. It, they have. And there, there's, there's boutique specialists in other areas. I mean, you know, heavy metal toxicity, for example. I mean, yes, heavy metal toxicity must be addressed. But there's so many doctors that are doing heavy metal toxicity, you know, addressing it with chelation, mm-hmm. but they're still doing bioidentical hormones. And, they, I, mean, and I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I'm, because if you effectively treat the person and get rid of these metals and get rid of these persistent organic pollutants, guess what happens to the hormones? They come back. Yes, we see And I've got, tre- I've got case after case. Now, I'm not saying it comes back in two weeks or two months, and it's not maybe the quick fix that people want, but it always comes back. I mean, if you take a 30-year-old woman, and I've got the case of this. I mean, this is a woman that's on our DVDs. Robert, you did the narration on, on the nine steps to, to optimum health, which is the precursor to the book before it came out, the nine steps to keep the doctor away. But there's a lady on the video. Her name was Jane. And she had she had been on Synthroid since the age of 32, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And she uh, came to us when she was in her early 60s and you know when she was 72 years old this woman was euthyroid i had her off synthroid i had her off desiccated you know cold uh, desiccated armor thyroid i had her off our thyroid protocol that she was euthyroid she was normal thyroid functioning how can you take a person that has been on synthroid for 30 some years 35 37 years and make them euthyroid you get rid of the crap that's not supposed to be in the body you get rid of the heavy metals because remember heavy metals have a propensity for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis for all the endocrine organs it affects them and suppresses them and again I'm, we're getting off topic because we were talking about gut and liver but again yeah. i said this is a can of worms you opened up so i was no just gonna- but it, it's the difference between relief of symptoms synth- synthetically if you will and even so-called semi-naturally and really going to the heart of the terrain which starts as we know with the liver and the gastrointestinal tract, which is why, you know, I come back to it. Why are we so aligned? You know, this crazy homeopath that hosts a radio show and this physician coming together to, to put this stuff out every week. Because well, you forgot you forgot some the crazy physician. Oh, the crazy! Yes, of course. Like, we we are aligned there too. Yeah. 
So it is because of that. The principles are sound. You come together, and we will have different ways and techniques to come at it. And that's the cool thing about all the advanced medicine seminars. you got some people coming at it with different areas, and you've never dissed on them about it unless they're doing something toxic. But it's like there are ways we don't know that we're open to. We want to learn. Exactly. We want to learn them. And if anything uh, can improve what we're doing, I'm always thinking about, okay, if this is working for this person and I'm not doing it, maybe I can enhance what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a way to get better results faster. And, and I'm all about that. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of this coming together. And uh, we love doing it. We've got uh, about another minute or so before we need to take a break here, Dr. Batar. But if we come back, liver, gastrointestinal. Now, we've utilized uh, nutrients. We've utilized herbs. We've utilized homeopathics. We've, I mean, there's so many things that we already integrate and incorporate. It doesn't mean we've got every answer. But, I, you know, I try to come back to this. and People are overwhelmed almost by it. We don't want to overwhelm anybody with this. Well, Robert, that's an important point, too, to bring up. All these things that we use, all these tools, uh, the herbs and the vitamins and the homeopathics, the difference is that when we're using them, we're using them to elicit balance. We're not using them to Mm -hmm. elicit covering up of symptoms, which is what a lot of the natural doctors are using. They will use a homeopathic or they'll use a – and this is a philosophical difference. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. a difference that you can – you can maybe point out um, unless you understand how the homeopathic works or how the herbal works or how the vitamin works. But if you use something to cover up a symptom, you are no better than the doctor that's using a prescriptive item to cover up the symptom. And in actuality, the prescriptive item will cover up the symptom better if that's what your goal is. Mm -hmm. But we're not about covering up the symptom. We're trying to find the cause and to reestablish balance to get rid of the cause so that you don't have that symptom in the first place. And the symptom actually acts as a method of us to give us feedback, to tell us how effective we were at, at getting rid of the symptom, meaning that if the symptom gets away, goes away, then we know that our addressing the problem at its cause was effective yes and also one thing i want to add and maybe we can talk about this in a little while is that as people heal as they get stronger some symptoms might actually increase or some new symptoms may pop absolutely. up and absolutely absolutely in yeah. fact i often say you got to go through that tunnel mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk about that the herxheimer's yeah. response robert absolutely yeah. i think it's an important right. part of this right because we don't want to frighten people as well as they get stronger and they go wait a second i got more what is this all about well we'll talk about that and more this is advanced medicine monday we're doing some serious medical rewind today with dr rashid Batar, as we do every monday and of course check it out all online at robertscottbell.com the links are up we'll be right back the robert scott bell show, robert scott bell show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Along the way to my healing all those years ago, I got stronger, but at a certain point, I didn't know what was happening. I thought I might be getting worse. And I said, hey, doc, I feel like dog squeeze here. I'm getting sicker. I got a high fever. I feel horrible. And my homeopathic mentor, Dr. Vitari, said, congratulations, you're getting stronger. You're getting well. I'm thinking, I'm dying here, Doc. What are you talking about? He's laughing. He's saying this is good news. I had no earthly idea. As I said, raised allopathically, it was a new concept to me. Well, Robert, before I even comment on that, I like that description, dog squeeze. That's <laughs> that really does bring it bring it home. It, mean, is, it is a descriptive term, isn't it? It is. It's very descriptive. It's actually, the visual is, <laughs> is quite <laughs> stunning. But, you know, the point is very valid, what you just said. And it is a consistently observed 
phenomena when you're dealing with chronic illness. As the person starts to get better, they may go through that worsening. And we have a term for that, as you and I are very well aware of. Maybe some people have heard that term before. The term is Herxheimer's. And essentially, that means the healing crisis. It's actually, Mm -hmm. in, in some ways expected and if it's not if i don't observe that if i don't have the patient tell me that they're going through a worsening Mm -hmm. i may actually hesitate in questioning whether or not we're going down the right path because the sicker the person is for them to transition into that rebalanced state you almost always have to go through that herxheimer's response i make an analogy to a tunnel If you think of going through a tunnel and where you were originally before you went through the tunnel was, let's say, good health, and then you go through this tunnel and you end up on the other side, which is now bad health or chronic disease or some type of an ailment, in order for you to get better, you must go through that tunnel backwards. You must go through that again. The nice thing about this is that when you restart to experience this worsening, Mm It should give a person a sense of relief, at least for the provider who can guide the patient and let them know that, look, what you're experiencing, just like your mm-hmm. uh, homeopathic mentor, you said, you know, laughed and said that this is great and you didn't <laughs> know what was going on. It's because he obviously knew, as we do now, mm-hmm. that that healing crisis is necessary for opt- optimum health to be achieved. So let's kind of talk about what is actually happening when that Herxheimer's response takes place. Yeah, that, that would be excellent to, to really kind of delve d- deeper into it because, as I said, coming back from our knowledge now, it's one thing, but I remember all too clearly about not knowing about it, not expecting it, and going being almost floored by it. And, of course, a lot of people could be frightened away back into suppressive allopathic medicine. Absolutely, Robert. In fact, you know, it's funny you bring that up because one of the things I tell my patients is to expect to feel worse. Mm-hmm. And I indoctrinate them so much towards that, making sure that they understand that they're going to go through a worsening that when they don't, sometimes occasionally they don't go through the worsening and they'll be yeah. panicked, like calling up and saying, well, I didn't get worse. I thought I was supposed to get worse. I, you know, you told me that was a critical part of getting better, that the mm-hmm. worsening aspect. And again, 90% of the time, 90, 95% of the time, you're going to go through that Herxheimer's response. In fact, the more chronically ill you are, the more yes. you're going to go through that. But it doesn't have to be that you go through it. So when a person calls and they're panicked because they haven't gone through that worsening state, huh. I tell them, you know, it's okay because they're getting better. Yes. Now, just a side note, mm-hmm. if you get worse or you get better, both of those things are good. However, what is not good is remaining status quo. If yes. there's no change, that means we're not making any difference. We're not mm-hmm. eliciting any type of um, change into the physiology that is either perceived by the individual as good sure. or as bad. If it's good or bad, if you feel good or you feel bad, you feel better or you feel worse, that's good. Yes. If you don't feel any difference, that's not good. Yeah, let me give an example. You know, when I felt so rotten, I, I was spiking a very high fever, which I don't remember doing since I was a very small child, and I had been the, the subject of uh, progressive uh, suppressive medicine. So all the time taking non steroidals or different things that would so called reduce fever. Now you do that your entire life, your body suddenly, I can't do it anymore. And suddenly I was getting healthier and I got a powerful reaction, which was a strengthening of the body. So, you know, a high fever, as we know, is a good positive thing to burn some things out of the body when you have the strength to do it. You want it. Now, you can navigate the terrain without going overboard, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that it was a shocking revelation. 
Right. And Robert, sometimes it's not necessarily the strengthening. It's actually the dichotomy mm-hmm. of the two opposing ends fighting against each other. And it's not necessarily a strengthening. Mm-hmm. It's just that turmoil of the fight. Yeah. So to yeah. give you an example, when the person usually starts getting into the strengthening aspect, they will start to feel better. They'll have more days that they're better than that are worse. But initially, that pinnacle of the fight is when you end up feeling that Herxheimer's response because you've got, mm-hmm. for lack of a better description, good versus bad fighting each other. So let me give you an example in cancer, which is something very, very yes, yes. observable, and, and we, we can predict it within literally, and I'm not exaggerating at all, we can predict it within one to six hours of when this is going to occur. So in our five steps approach to cancer, the fourth step is target acquisition. So let me just go through the five steps real quick so people understand. The first one is systemic detoxification. The second one is uh, physiological optimization. The third one is immune modulation. The fourth one is target acquisition. And the fifth one is maintenance. So when the first two, the detoxification and the optimization, those are things that many doctors do many different ways. Many natural uh, healers do. There's many ways of doing that. That basically just means one, of course, get the toxicities out as we discussed in the nine steps to keep the doctor with the seven toxicities. The second one, physiological optimization is essentially uh, addressing certain components. For example, in cancer, cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer. So you want to optimize the physiology to help negate the cancer, so you want to reduce your glucose intake. Another way, maybe a better example would be, since cancer hates oxygen, it's an uh, obligate anaerobic metabolizer, meaning that it likes an oxygen-free environment. What we want to do to physiologically optimize a person is to give them more oxygen. So that would include hyperbarics, air energy, maybe some exercise, you know, air cannula, giving 2%... uh, two liters oxygen per minute, whatever the different ways are to increase oxygenation. We use hyperbarics and we use uh, a couple of other techniques to increase oxygenation. In fact, that IRR technique that I talked about a couple of weeks ago on the show, the infrarespiratory reflex is a method to actually increase oxygenation. So these are the steps of optimizing the physiology. So you've got detoxification and then optimizing physiology. The third one is immune modulation, which basically means stimulating the immune system because by definition, if a person has cancer, they have a damaged immune system. If their immune system is not damaged, then it's impossible for them to have cancer. So that third step is to modulate the immune system, which we do with various types of peptides. The fourth step is target acquisition. And here comes Mm -hmm. the Herxheimer's aspect. When you've stimulated the immune system and you've optimized the physiology and you've detoxed the whole body, and now you introduce into the body something that allows the body's immune system to decipher the difference between normal, good, healthy cells and DNA adducts, abnormal mutated cell lines that are cancerous or cancer cells or oncogenic cells, Yes. then the body has a reaction. That reaction is where the immune system that has now been repaired starts to recognize the abnormal cells that shouldn't be in the body, i.e. the cancer cells, and starts to fight against them. So as soon as we introduce the RSOTA, the autogenous antigen receptor-specific oncogenic target acquisition, it's a mouthful I know, but yes, <laughs> a, a method of allowing the body to recognize the cancers being formed. Think of it as kind of like a vaccine. It's much more advanced than a vaccine, but specific to that person, specific to that DNA, specific to that actual cancer. As soon as you introduce that RSOTA, they're going to have a shift. The only reason they will not have, and we call it a shift, which is a Herxheimer's response. And that can manifest itself as a um, shaking, chills, fever, diarrhea, vomiting, uh, even to the point of seizures and going into a coma. We've even seen that happen but when the tumor burden is so much. And in our early stages, about 14 years ago when we were doing this, we weren't able to control mm-hmm. the 
the uh, immune system because we were just stimulating it. So we, sometimes you have to allow the body enough capacity to be able to deal with that stress that's going to go through. And so as a cancer starts to being recognized by the body being foreign and the immune system starts hitting it, that's when you start. That was me slapping my hands. That way, the by the way, it wasn't slapping a patient or a baby. It was slapping his hand. <laughs> Just so you know, Dr. Batar's at it. He's on fire. And of course, you can feel like you're on fire going through this process. And of course, all the things that you said to precede it, especially, of course, that detox step at first. Remember now, there will be debris from any immune battle cancer debris, etc. The dead bodies that would float on the battlefield, if you don't remove it, you're going to feel really rotten. And we want to get those things out. That's exactly right. Because as a cancer starts to be attacked by the immune system and the immune system is doing what it's supposed to be doing and the body starts to identify the cancer as being foreign, you are going to have this tissue necrosis. You're going to have that tumor burden start to break down, but it's going to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. It's trash. Mm -hmm. And it can actually act as if a person has an infection, just like the person becomes septic. We know that sepsis can kill somebody. So that is why the person starts going through these sometimes violent reactions. It's because of that healing crisis. So that is that when I described originally the dichotomy of that you know, battle going on, that's a yes. perfect example. That's what I was envisioning, and that's usually what I see. In fact, I always see that in my cancer patients. In fact, if I don't see that, Robert, that's a bad sign because that means that either one – well, it could be one of two extremes. It could be a really bad sign or it could be a really good sign. And really bad meaning that the, either the immune system has not repaired itself enough or we haven't been able to repair the immune system enough for it to mount a response – or two, the cancer is so far gone that it has suppressed the immune system and there is no reaction that's taking place. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is that there is no cancer left in the body, and so there's nothing for it to respond to, and so that's why there's no response going on. And I can actually, you know, there's no way to tell that by just looking at the response, but there is a very easy way of knowing which extreme you're at, and that's by simply looking at the patient. If the patient is sitting there healthy, their appetite's good, they're gaining weight, they look Mm -hmm. great, you know, then obviously it's that good response. If they're in multi-organ system failure, they're falling apart, Yes, BUNs going up, their LFTs are going up, then obviously then you notice the opposite where the immune system cannot respond. Well, this, so- this last phase, Dr. Batar, I want to talk about, we need to take a break. We got one more segment here on Advanced Medicine Monday, special edition, talking about things that, uh, well, I don't know where else you're going to get this information. I also remind you, if you haven't come to the Advanced Medicine Seminar yet, There will be other opportunities. This is the kind of thing that happens throughout the weekend when you do attend. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's The Robert Scott Bell Show. Go back and listen to that last segment we just did with Dr. Batar here because this may be the key to everything now moving forward because what you have led us to is that point where I always come to with people that I discuss or people that consult with me or even doctors that we talk about their patients, that point where we, not only as doctors, but you as a human being trying to heal, realize that the wisdom and the communication tools of your body, those symptoms we've discussed for so many years, so many times, are the tools that are much more intelligent than any test or analysis that you can ever get. Not to say that we're throwing out all technology and tests, but that is what you said. How do you tell the difference? That was the big question, the million-dollar question. Well, tell me how you feel. 
Are your, do you feel like you're in organ failure? Are your energy coming back? Is your appetite good? And that's where the wisdom, and you bring that out in the advanced medicine seminars. That's what, again, is so exciting about those events is because you're bringing that out in everybody, doctors and patients alike. Robert, you know, sometimes I, I look at the spouse and I'll ask the spouse, do you see a difference? And the mm-hmm. spouse will say, she doesn't believe me how incredible she looks right now. In fact, your friend, uh, Dr. O, Ajiro, mm-hmm. who I'm treating right now, for example, uh, her significant other is visiting from England. I looked at him. I didn't even say anything to her because she, her skin looked radiant. Mm-hmm. Now, she's not feeling good, obviously. She's got the anxiety. She's got she's all these doing recovering. You know, it's, it's that path where you're not always going to feel great. Exactly. Exactly. But I looked at him. Didn't even look at her anymore. I looked at him and I said, do you see a difference? And he started, looked at me and started shaking his head and smiling. And he goes, she won't believe me, but she looks like she just came out of a spa. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how much better the person's looking. So you know they're improving, even though they may be feeling bad. But that's yeah. how you can assess. You don't, you know, what you just said is so beautiful, Robert. Before mm-hmm. all the tests came out and before mm-hmm. all the technology came out, how did doctors diagnose diabetes 100 years ago? Mm-hmm. You know, did, did they do a uh, random <laughs> sugar level or send off patients? No, they didn't even have the ability to do that. So, do you remember how they used to do it, or do you know how they used to diagnose diabetes? Well, no, no, not specific. I know that I, as a homeopath, the techniques that we utilized to do it were based on questioning and, and symptoms. Well, the traditional medical model mm-hmm. back 100 years ago or so, maybe it's a little bit longer than that, the way to diagnose diabetes was that the doctor would touch the urine and taste it. And mm-hmm. if there was, oh, yes, yes. if it's sweet, it was basically they, they knew the person was spilling mm-hmm. glucose and they were diabetic. Now, of course, we don't want to go around tasting urine, but my point <laughs> is that that yeah. was how we used to uh, diagnose different conditions by observation, by physical exam, mm-hmm. by relying upon our senses as providers to decipher yes. what the information we were seeing. It wasn't something when we sent off for all these different types of tests. Now, again, like you said, we're not mm-hmm. going to throw all the tests out, but the tests are important. But what I'm saying is that it's necessary to rely upon our observation. And so when you've got a patient and you, you don't know which way the patient is really going because of the test, look at yes. the patient. If their skin looks clearer, if their eyes, the sclera is clearer, if they have a better sense of well-being, even though they may feel tired, which is, again, that battle going on, yes. look at how they look, look at how they act, look at how they're functioning. If you see a person that has been walking slow and using a cane, and then they get up and they say, man, I feel terrible, but they get up and they walk to the bathroom and they're step is strong and they're mm-hmm. moving with a purpose, you know that person is better, even yep. though they may be feeling worse. And that's one of the things that we'll actually point out. I'll point it out to a family member or they'll point it out to me. Sure, how yeah. is it possible that this person's you know, got this type of a condition, Dr. Batar, but look how they're walking now. Yes, yes, there is that. You said it, the purpose, there's a grounding, there's a connectedness. There are a lot of these things that aren't present when you're on the decline as when you're on this incline. And going back, you know, all the technology, we could say, hey, wonderful, how cool is that? At the same time, it's caused the medical profession and many of the doctors in it to disconnect from those senses that healers once thought were as important, perhaps more important than any any technological step or leap that we had made. The purest form of science, Robert, Mm -hmm. is observation. And that's the point that I think you and I are trying to make and that hopefully people are understanding that observation is a key. That is what mm-hmm. either it was uh, Plato. I think it was Plato that said the purest form is, of science is observation. You form a hypothesis yep. and you test that hypothesis and then how many times it recurs, that's how you know that you've got science. Yes. You know, the observation aspect that you're talking about, that critical feedback information that we're getting as mm-hmm. we're 
treating a person and seeing how they're performing, you are 110% right that that is really the most important thing. I'm not yeah. saying that I don't rely on tests, by the way. I mean, I, there's many things. No, no, you do. Like I said, the difference is, you know, I'm totally low tech, which is cool. And I like to work with docs and help them out. And, you know, look, I learn a lot from all this, too. And it helped me to confirm certain things that I observe. So there are things that can help with technology to exactly. confirm things. you observe. Like case in point, the hep C people that I've dealt with over the years. And I said, here, if we do all the things that Dr. Batar has said, including immune modulation, but especially detox metal reduction and let's go after any pathogen burden fine let's do it and then they go back and get their viral load test i tell them through this process your viral load test is going to go through the roof and it, but don't freak out because this and i explain what it means they come back and they said oh my god my viral load test it said my doctor's freaking out i need to be on drugs. it's 10 times worse i said but how are you feeling i feel great my appetite's awesome i'm exercising but i'm gonna die the doctor says i'm gonna die that's exactly what we're talking about the abandonment of the questioning of the patient and the reality of where the patient is really at this is the analogy robert that i have made so many times to patients to make them understand our modern medical system is such that when we see a fire and then we see fire engines Mm -hmm. we say the conclusion is Every time I see a fire engine, I see a fire. Therefore, I conclude that fire engines cause fires. Right. It is that wrong association or the deduction that's made from that observation is the wrong deduction. And that's what's led us astray in medicine, in modern medicine. Yeah. And so we have to be a little bit more judicious and understand, as you've just said, what those tests mean. I never do a test unless it's going to help me to understand and change the direction of what I'm going to be doing for the patient as far as the course of treatment. Yeah. A perfect example is when you do heavy metal testing post-challenge. You see an increase in metals and people start freaking out. Oh, my God, my metals are going up. Well, that, that's not those, those tests don't show how much metal is in your body. The only way to do that is by doing multiple site biopsies, which is not conducive with life. You can't do biopsies of the liver and lungs and breast and, and colon and right. bone and brain, etc. I mean, you'd have to, you know, you'd kill a person doing that. The only thing that that means when you see the metal levels going up is that that metal level that we're observing is actually what we're pulling out. Yes, exactly. You see the metal levels going up. You know, they don't quite understand. They don't understand why is it that the baseline was high, but now after I'm doing treatments, even higher. That is indicative of what we are pulling out. It is not indicative of what's in the body. So that higher level is actually a good thing because it's showing that we are effectively pulling things out. Listen, I think this show is a keeper. What do you think? I think so. Incredible. I I will go back and listen to this one. Benefit, Robert. As long as people see the benefit, we'd have to ask them. Well, you let us know. What do you think? 866-939-BELL. Go to robertscottbell.com. Re-listen at at the medicalrewind.com. And we'll be back, of course, next week. Dr. Patar, rock and roll. You were awesome. And uh, Ty, thank you again for opening today's show as well. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, all you got to do is remember this. It's God's honest truth that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show.